just to say, uh, weddings don't stress me. They don't make me uh, have gray hair. I absolutely delight in doing weddings. It's net Afrikaans a huwelik. Back here for my gray Sarah. And that's all my fear devious. So. Uh, we just had some uh, amazing time uh, with honoring the volunteers, and uh, the elders cooked the meal. And so I just wanted to show you a short little clip, if we can pull that up, of us actually just preparing the food. A little bit of dancing at that. Come with an idea dance move there. <laughs> a little bit of dancing the ant. <laughs> so now you know uh, what really happened when we cooked the meal. Uh, there, was, um, there were awards and thank yous for the life group leaders and the media and the worship and the social justice and the kids. And, um, and then there was an actual special mention award, uh, which uh, I forgot. And so I'm going to embarrass the couple uh, right now. And uh, they're going to wonder who they are. But uh, the special mention is for this couple who lead a life group. Uh, they play a key role in the justice team. They lead the First Thousand Days initiative, and they lead an expectant uh, couples course, and uh, they also moved out of their home for six weeks so that Tash and I could stay there for a period whilst we didn't have a home. So we would just like to take a moment to honor Danny and Cindy, if you can come up. <laughs> Keep clapping, guys. This is an amazing... <laughs> This is an honorable mention to the two of you, and uh, this comes with a COVID-friendly hug. <laughs> you know, it's a fun award, but actually, uh, the church, the elders are not the most important people. We have a role to play, I think a significant role, but uh, the work... Uh, and the, the, the weight of the church is carried by you. And when I look at a couple like Danny and Cindy and so many of you and what you're doing, we're absolutely delighted uh, to see uh, the grace of God upon you, your hard work. And I just want to give a picture. The elders are just like the heart of a church. They're not the head. Uh, they have some form of authority, but the main thing is a heart to commission the church to do that which it's called to do. And so for Tash and I to come into this church and just see amazing couples like Danny and Cindy, uh, it's a real, real privilege. So, today didn't start very well. Firstly, because uh, we're having guests, friends for lunch, and I made sourdough, and I put it in the oven. We have half-baked sourdough. <laughs> then I came to print my message. No printer. And finally, I couldn't get out of my house because the gate wouldn't open. 
But there is good news. There is good news. Hamilton is on pole position. <laughs> I hope this message encourages you if you are exploring the faith. I hope it serves you well. And uh, perhaps if your faith is low or your heart has just become a little bit hardened, I hope it strengthens you. I'm reading from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not feel the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at new day. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all his ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show me my salvation. And show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father, we're never really interested in man's perspective or man's words. We're only interested in your words. And I pray that your words will encounter us and the result would be that we would leave strengthened and encouraged and have a greater experience of your extravagant love for us. Amen. Three things uh, that the psalmist really wants us to understand this morning. There are more than that, but I'm just going to be touching on three things. Number one. There is no safer place to be on planet Earth than to belong to God. There's no safer place to be on planet Earth than to belong to God. Number two, the biggest threat, danger, or pressure that we will ever face cannot separate us from the love of God. The biggest threat, danger, or pressure will never separate you from the love of God. And finally, there is an invitation that the psalmist offers you and I to enter into that safe space. So, let's go. Number one, there is no safer place to be than a child of God. And um, the psalmist uses some images to convey our security and our safety. And the first one that he uses is a shadow. And a shadow is uh, something that you cast. It's a shadow is uh, attached to you, it's near you, it's conveying nearness. And the psalmist wants to know that uh, uh, to be a child of God means that God's shadow is upon you. He is near. He is a very present help in time of need. 
Often bullies pick on smaller children, but they run away when they see a bigger boy. There's a wonderful kind of image that the psalmist is using. Can you imagine the shadow of the Almighty God? Can you imagine that shadow? If you think of your shadow and you leading up with the shadow, can you imagine the shadow of God, the, that which it can encompass? The psalmist is saying there's great safety and great security in the shadow of God. The second image that he gives is a fortress. He says, my God is a fortress, my refuge and my fortress. Um, and uh, people throughout history have built fortresses. The Great Wall of China is a wall to protect. If you go to Masvingo, just uh, in, in Zim, there's the Zimbabwean ruins. And there's fortresses for uh, the people, but at the top of, uh, of, of that area is actually the place where the king lives, and it's exceptionally hard to get to. It is fortified, and the only way that you, there is an entrance, but the only way that you can get to is you crawl under your, on your knees through a little tunnel. It's completely safe. And uh, we don't have fortresses anymore, but the imagery still remains of the psalmist wanting to know that uh, that in God there is safety. The third image is that of a bird or perhaps even eagle covering a chick with her wings. And uh, she covers the chicks to protect them from attacks of prey. Chicks are vulnerable, and the imagery is that with God there is someone who takes care of you in vulnerable stages. The fourth image is that of a shield. It says that God is a shield and a buckler. Uh, images that are warfare images. And the psalmist acknowledges that there are attacks on your life, but there is a God who is a shield who protects you. And so there is this imagery that the psalmist is wanting you and I to understand that with God there is incredible safety, there is incredible security, there is incredible protection through the realities of our lives. One of uh, my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, says this. He's, he says, you're perfectly safe in God's kingdom. It's quite a weighty quote. When you think about the context that we just are walking through, he says, you are perfectly safe in God's kingdom. The second thing that the psalmist wants us to understand is that hardship, difficulties, and loss are a part of life. He, uh, he acknowledges that life contains great difficulties. Spiritual attacks, physical sicknesses, mental stress, fears. And it's helpful for us to understand that he's not detached from reality, just saying, oh, don't worry, with God everything is fine. Actually, he says, in the reality of your lives, there is this God who is a fortress, a refuge, a shelter, a wing, and a shadow. As Tasha and I have come into this community, most of the things we've done, done, done is just listening. We're listening to your stories. And here are some of the things that we are hearing. Um, and some of them have been quite surprising. 
probably the foremost is the real struggle of mental health, particularly in our young people, in our 20-somethings, but not limited to that. It's not an age group that you associate with severe mental health, but when you unpack um, the you know, young men and young ladies being by themselves in their home day after day, and we're coming up to like 700 days, that's a long time. It has an impact, yeah? It's a real reality. The second thing that we're starting to hear is that there is, it's difficult to actually date in COVID. Because your meeting, your meeting grounds have been removed. And it's not just a couple of months, it's an extended period. And uh, for many, it's a key area of their lives, a key time where, you know, for us who are outside of that zone, it was never an issue. And it's a very real issue, and it causes pain. Uh, the next one is just the um, marital pressure that COVID has been produced. Previously, the husband went to work, and the wife says, praise God. <laughs> Maybe just in my home. <laughs> I'm hoping my wife's saying, no, it's not true. <laughs> well, not there. <laughs> Uh, and not only that, you've, uh, you've got the kids in the home as well. We've got four kids. That thing just changed. And suddenly marriage has had to endure significantly more pressure than ever before. Added to that is that some people's jobs have been lost, all their income's been reduced. That's a pressure. Kids have, whilst they've never, often don't verbalize it, but if you think of the pressure that they have, it's significant. Normally, kids, there would be education and fun, but the fun just got taken away. It's just education, and that's consistently changing and things like that. So it's really, really difficult. You think of the elderly, at the very time that they need the love and care and support of family, very often they can't because of COVID and their risk. And so you've got old age homes and retirement homes that got shut down in that period, and even now it's very restrictive. And then fi the final example is just one that Bethel mentioned, is that uh, family are meant to be together, and for so many people it's been significantly disrupted. The psalmist is actually acknowledging that the period that we are going through is exceptionally difficult. But I love what the psalmist does, and you'll often find this throughout Scripture. The, the, uh, you'll often find the people... The, the writers of Scripture don't go, you know, don't worry, life is so difficult. Why don't you just try and survive this period and wait till it gets better? And that's never been the narrative of Scripture. In fact, the, the Hebrew writer is actually quite brutal and not very pastoral. He says, hey, listen, none of you are bleeding. None of you are actually, you know, like carry, you know, mortal wounds. So come on, strengthen your hands, strengthen your knees. There is a God to follow and a, and a will to serve. And so I love about the psalm in Psalm 91, it's not just a feel good, God is good, he'll sort you out. It's saying, no, there are realities, but there is a greater reality, and it's the Father who is a refuge, a shelter, an eagle, and a shadow. And I think the, the invitation to you and I is to enter into this refuge, to enter into this shelter. 
The Word of God says, he who dwells or he who abides. To dwell means to live with. It doesn't just mean to visit. And it's the daily practice, and perhaps even multiple day, daily, of encountering God through His Word, through meditation on His Word, through worship, through obedience, through confession, through one another, and through service, the way that we enter into shelter, refuge, God is our fortress, God is our wing who protects us, is through dwelling. And dwelling is the daily practice of prayer, of meditation of the word, of confession of sins, of the gathering of saints, of service. And that's the way that we enter into God's presence. It also has the meaning of abide. It says those, those who abide in God's refuge. Abide is very similar. Uh, Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And then he talks about the image of a vineyard, which for the first time in my life I've got because we've moved to Durbanville. And we cycle on the vineyards. And, you know, I've, I've kind of pictured it, but now I've seen it. And you kind of go, there is no way that a branch can do anything without the vine. It's impossible. Because I see some branches lying on the side. They are dead. They're never going to produce grapes. Never going to happen. And so the illustration that Jesus gives us is, is once again the same. It's, it's, it's a, a, a living in attachment to the person of Jesus. It's joined. To abide in God means to acknowledge that we are completely dependent upon Him. And so the psalmist says, God's got a role, and you've got a role. God's role, or His nature, is to protect, is to provide security, is to provide safety, is to be a place of peace and rest. And our role is to dwell, to do the practices to be with Him. Here's the reality in my life, and perhaps in yours, is that I think there are two things that get in the way. Um, Possibly more. I think distraction would probably be the number one thing uh, that gets in the way. Distraction. And I'm talking about worry, fear, anxiety, busyness, social media, <laughs> time on your phone. Just the, just the culture that we live in is so distracted, and chances are you're distracted as well. So the practice of dwelling in the presence of God in the reality of your lives is robbed by distraction, and it's good to be aware of it. And then the second thing uh, that I think robs us of dwelling in the presence of God is that uh, we build our own fortresses, our own security, our own places of refuge, and then we run into them. Under pressure, we often, and more often than we care to think, is we often run into our own fortresses. So the prophet Isaiah often reminded the Israelites. He says, this is the thing that I notice about you is that under pressure, you keep going back to Egypt and wanting Pharaoh to look after you. In other words, he says, you keep going back to, you, to the thing that you think brings you security and it never will. 
My dad uh, taught me to be independent, to be financially independent, and that was kind of his number one mantra. Work hard so that you can provide for your family and that you don't need to depend on other people because that would be a burden. And so I remember he wouldn't even want to borrow a lawnmower from someone. That was his kind of, that would be like a terrible thing because you need to work hard to provide your own lawnmower. And um, something within that became part of me. Uh, this culture, this way of being, which is independent. And um, so under pressure, uh, what happens very often is me not running to God, but me running to my own fortress, which is a fortress of self-reliance and essentially pride. It's me saying I can actually make a plan. And um, I think we've all got those. How do you know what is your fortress or fortresses that you run to? I think here are some of them, and then I'm going to give you a clue on how you find yours. Um, I think the things that we run to is, uh, is independence, is self-reliance, is we can make a plan. Sometimes we run to the comfort of porn. Sometimes we run to the comfort of some type of substance abuse, even eating. Sometimes we uh, withdraw, and the very people that need to help us, we isolate. Uh, that's our coping mechanism. We just knuckle down by ourselves. We won't let anyone in. Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we just take that kind of pressure and overwork. You know, I don't know what your fortress is, but I can tell you who do that does know. Probably your spouse or your best friend. Just ask them and say, hey, listen, under pressure, what I, where do I go to? And they'll, they'll tell you um, where you go to. Another one to look to is look to where, what your parents did because chances are you would have copied them. Some of those cultures and some of those habits uh, under pressure, you'll probably do the same thing. No one's nodding at me. You're all kind of looking at me. Brennan, you're alone here. <laughs> I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says this, a mature Christian allows God to strip him of everything that might serve as a false refuge, a secondary trust. Maturity is the process of recognizing that which you're putting your confidence in is a false refuge, a false fortress. It will never provide the security and the safety and the shelter that God will. And that's a process of maturity that God takes us all through. So the psalmist, friends, reminds us this morning that there is no situation, there is no situation that you are currently facing or will ever face that is too big for God. He is able to provide refuge for you in every area of your life. God says as you dwell with him, as you abide with him, he will be your refuge, which means he will deliver you, cover you, surround you, protect you, send his angels to guard you, rescue you, answer you, honor you, and satisfy you. Those are some weighty promises. Those are some large, significant promises that I hope are entering into my circumstances and your circumstances this morning. Brendan, let me understand this. 
God says there'll be great difficulties in our lives that threaten to crush us. But if we learn to dwell with God and we run to Him and find safety, we will experience His shelter and peace from harm. Yes and no. Yes, because that is what the Scripture says. But um, that's not the primary narrative because it would make you the center of the story. And we never are. You see, because castles and fortresses don't move. You have to go to them. You have to enter into their door. You have to find security and safety by you going into the fortress. But God, uh, in his kindness, sends us a deliverer to ourselves. He sends us a refuge and his name is Jesus, and he seeks you. Not just once off, but continually. Jesus actually approaches us in our difficult circumstances and becomes a place of security and refuge and shelter. He is the initiator, not us. Beautiful news, friends. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And we often talk about that as a salvation, the first time that you encounter Jesus. But <laughs> it's not just a once-off moment. There is this thing of Jesus approaching us in the midst of our circumstances. And his knock uh, is on the fortresses of our lives. And so to abide with God or to dwell with God is, is the daily process of giving him permission to dwell with us. How does that practically work? Father, I'm really angry. Uh, that which I'm going through is causing me anxiety. Father, I can't sort out the finances. I can't sort out my marital realities. I can't sort out this. This reality of cancer is too big for me to navigate. These effects, Lord, are overwhelming me. I just, Lord, acknowledge that you are a God who delivers. Would you come and deliver me today? Yeah? The the Psalms are filled with prayers of people inviting God into their difficult spaces. And so every religion, friends, excluding the Christian faith, is about you working your way towards God. But the Christian faith is the opposite. God works his way towards you and knocks on the door of your hearts. And that's why Jesus, friends, is so beautiful. What king goes to knock on your door? Yeah. No king comes knocking on your door saying, can I deliver you? But King Jesus is that type of king, a rescuing, delivering king. And as we come to land this message, and we participate in communion, the refuge, the shelter the fortress, the shadow that God promises us is an incredible privilege that comes to us this morning, not just as a nice truth like there's some facts, but through the work of Christ. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus takes three disciples because he wants some 
shelter. He wants some comfort. He wants some strength. And uh, he finds himself alone. And he prays, God, my God, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. What is the cup he's talking about? He's talking about the, what will happen where God, the Father, will no longer be his refuge, will no longer be his shelter, will no longer be a wing. That eternal union between the Father and the Son and the Spirit will be separated. And on the cross, naked Jesus is alone, has no place of refuge, has no shelter, has no wing, and has no fortress. And so the promises of God are delivered to you with great weight because they come at the cost of our Savior. The great privilege has been purchased by Jesus, and therefore to not run into God's fortress, to do things by ourselves, to continually to run into our own fortresses is a great sin because of the great work that Christ has done. Would you agree with me that, friends? This is not just saying, well, I'm going to try a little harder. It's, it's helpful to recognize that our fortresses of self-reliance and self-security are a terrible thing in light of what Christ has done. And so the prayer is, Lord, would you help me firstly to see and then help me to continue this practice of running into your presence. And so the good news of this psalm, and it's a beautiful psalm, is that God created you to enjoy him and all of his benefits. However, we sometimes choose our own shelters and our own refuge, and the invitation to you and I is to stop trusting in those refuge and those shelters and to come and receive the everlasting, completely secure, completely safe, eternal, non-penetrable fortress of God. Brendan, are you saying that if we do this, our lives will be perfectly safe and we will never have any harm? Because sometimes on first reading of that scripture, uh, it seems to indicate that if you do this, then the consequence is that you'll live this perfectly safe life. And um, it, it can be so if we just take that scripture alone. But if we look at the big narrative of scripture, that's completely not the case. Because Paul writes to the Romans and says, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall death, shall uh, disease. He lists everything that could possibly happen to us. And he doesn't say that won't happen. He said, it won't separate you from the love of God. And so to run into the shelter of God is, is not to live this safe, you know, uh, desanitized life where nothing happens to you. No, it's to recognize that in the midst of that, you have a magnificent God who promises us shelter and promises us refuge and promises us for us to be a wing under which we can live. And so as we mature, because we're all on a road to maturity, yeah? We're all growing. Here are some signs 
that we are maturing. And I think they're helpful signs. They're just indicators that point us back to God. The first indicator is that in the midst of what we are currently going through, there is an increased peace and trust and confidence in God, not because the circumstances have changed, but because we understand this God of refuge and fortress and shelter. It has to actually, we have to actually apply it. And then that the overflow of that is that our eyes begin to open to those around us who are in desperate need of comfort and strength and refuge at this time. You see, friends, because we must mature beyond just looking after ourselves in this time. The narrative of the church can't just be, we just need, a, you know, need God to help us survive in our reality. That's beautiful, and he is that. But the purpose, the purpose of the church at this time, friends, must be to open up our eyes to those around us and to provide them the security and shelter and comfort which they desperately need. And so this Psalm 91 is incredibly challenging because it's calling us, friends, to lay hold of this God for the sake of others. We're going to participate in communion, and what a great way for us to land the message. I'm just going to ask the musos to come. Dat lijkt zo ernstig vanmorgen. Uh, I'm going to just give us an option for communion. You don't have to take it. Uh, uh, but this is what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to read the scripture. Uh, and then I'm going to invite you to celebrate communion, which is the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine to celebrate Christ's death for us and the pouring out of his blood for us but he has uh, a way for us to do it and the reason why I do this is because I always think communion is not an individual moment it can be and it's special but I'm I'm always leaning into that it's a community moment and so I'm going to make a suggestion that you just do this in groups of two or three can go a bit larger and celebrate communion and this is my suggestion is just ask the question what's the fortress that you run into under pressure and how can we pray for you that uh, you and I would lean into running into the fortress of our king so I'm going to read scripture and then we're going to break into groups for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Father, we want to say thank you for Jesus. The only way that we can have this magnificent shelter, this magnificent rock, this magnificent refuge, this magnificent shadow is because of Jesus. And so we celebrate like never before the death and resurrection of Christ. And as I pray, as this family gathers around your body broken for us and your blood poured for us, that your spirit would pour out on us and that we would encounter you. Amen, friends. You're welcome to this individually or in groups, but please proceed.